Now rocking with the best. Only two things can get you through this, man. Patience and persistence. Work harder than everyone. Be patient and just know that if you're gonna do something on your own, you're gonna have to feel some pain. You're only the boss if you put up your own money. If you don't put up your own money, I don't care how much somebody gives you. You're nothing but a supervisor. It's not yours. It, it takes fearlessness to be first. You know, to not move with a crowd, to move alone. I stopped living according to what people wanted me to do. I started living according to what actually made me happy. If you're not happy, change your life. Allow me to reintroduce myself. The Culture Talks Podcast with your host, Carlos Stutzer. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's your boy, C-I-Z-Z-Y, you dig live action, Kansas City, Missouri, the Culture Talks podcast, you feel me? And here we are, back again with another dope guest. I tell y'all every single week, back to back, month to month, I'm coming with dope guests consistently. And to be honest, this is the guest I'm most excited about in the past two years of doing this podcast, man. I've been from the, from the beginning of the podcast. He's one of the reasons that, that I was inspired to do the podcast. And then from then on out, I'm like, all right, let me build up my little resume of interviews. And then I'm going to reach out to Ani and try to make this happen. So with that being said, I just said his name, but go ahead and introduce yourself to the guest here today. And um, thank you so much for being here. Carlos, thank you, man. I appreciate you. What an intro. Now I got to live up to that. Uh, my name is Ani Sanya, uh, creative business owner, entrepreneur, living at the intersection of business and culture. And uh, yeah, I'm excited. Uh, your energy's on 10 right now. So I'm gonna try to get, I'm gonna get up there. Hey, little by little, little by little. Hey, oh man, we a little excited today, ladies and gentlemen, as you can see, but, but, but there ain't no nervousness happening today. So we're going to cut the nervousness that just popped up and we're going to jump right into it, my guy. So the first segment of today on the podcast is called the who is you segment. Now, most people are like, who are you? But you know, being from where I'm from, anytime I need to get to know somebody, I'm like, who is you? Like, who is you? So who is you segment is really just trying to get to know who our guest is a little bit better. So our, our first question today is where are you from? And uh, where did you grow up? How did that experience, you know, help shape who you are today? Yeah, my uh, my family's from India, from a city called Calcutta. That's where my parents uh immigrated from. I grew up in Massachusetts for the first part of my life, and then I moved to New York City for school. Um, so yeah, I'm a product of immigrant parents from India. I am a first-generation kid. I am uh, from a lot of different experiences. You know, I, I grew up um, very humble. I grew up trying to figure the world out, and I eventually figured my world out, and now I feel like I'm in a position to to take things over, and so I've been living you know, this, this really crazy existence for the past, past couple decades. I love it. I love it. And growing up, did you ever get to go back home to Calcutta or did you ever get to visit growing up to be able to like tap into that side of you? Or was it really just you building, you know, uh, an understanding of the culture just from being in the household in the States? Yeah, no, I definitely was able to go back. And and I credit that, you know, to my mom for just making sure that was always a, a priority for her. I spent a lot of summers in India as a kid, and I think that shaped my worldview 100%. You know, you see a part of the world, you see how a lot of the world lives, and you understand that privilege and, and, and um, access are things that we have in this country that we don't get elsewhere. So, you know, that 100% shaped my worldview and really kind of put purpose in me, you know, as a young kid. I just knew that, you know, my life wasn't going to be the same as, you know, 
Mike growing up next door. Facts, facts. It's it's funny because every time I ask somebody who, you know, comes from an immigrant household, if they got to go back home, they always like, you know, show love to their mom for, for making sure that happened. Because it's the same thing for me, like being able to go back home to Tanzania, like every summer or every other summer is like full credits to my mom, saving up her money throughout the year mm. to make sure she can get the kids to go like, you know, pop pops is doing his thing. But mom was always who made sure that that we were able to go back home. So I find it funny that in your situation and many other guests I've had on situation, it's always been a similar thing. Yeah, um, that's crazy. So inside of your family, you know, you're, you're like, as you mentioned at the beginning, you're an entrepreneur, you're a creative entrepreneur, you're in a, quite a few different sectors uh, of business. So who would you say in your family or, you know, just growing up in general inspired your career path most, like just being diversified across all these different um, business sectors, who in your family or, you know, friends or, 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 you know, people you looked up to growing up to growing up with inspired that? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think, you know, early on, I mean, I, I think it's, it's my parents, you know, straight up, my dad definitely inspired my work ethic. He inspired my, the hustle. He inspired the quest and the thirst for knowledge. You know, that's hundred percent my dad and my mom really inspired the compassion and kindness, you know, and I think that I've just had a rare, you know, ability to experience both those things in my life. And I think that that intersection is what creates, you know, an intentional human being. And so, you know, my dad has everything my mom doesn't and vice versa. And, you know, we got lucky, um, at me and my brother. So, yeah, I think definitely that, I think Jay-Z was like the first person I was inspired by outside of my family. You know, uh, I talk about that a lot, just being like a person of color who owned businesses and, was changing the narrative right then and there, you know, I think that was real for me. Um, but inspiration is, is tough for me, man. I think when, when you have that as the standard of excellence, you know, your parents and, and Hove, it's like, after that, um, it's, you know, I don't get inspired too often. Um, Nipsey, obviously long live. Um, but yeah, I think those are like, those are like my, my, my influences. I love it. And and you did just mention your brother there. So leading into my next question, how has your brother played a part in your growth as a man or as a business owner? Yeah, I mean, my my brother's younger. So we've always had, you know, that that tension between older and younger sibling in a, in a healthy way. You know, it's competitive. It's um, it's been a lot of learning. My, my brother has been a big piece of my growth. I think, you know, I wasn't able to really level up financially until him and I partnered up, you know, to, to start our agency. And I think he has a lot of things I don't in terms of operation and organization. And I have the creative and, you know, the hustle and the, um, the, the will, you know, willpower. And I think together we make a good team, but, you know, doing family, doing business with family is hard. There's no, there's no mincing that, you know, mincing that, that fact. Um, so my brother and I are like a constant work in progress, but you know, we've been good and, and we've been trying to be better to each other because business can get stressful, you know, as founders, especially as first generation founders, I think there's a big, you know, distinction I want to make because, you know, a lot of people find, you know, start companies after doing five years in investment banking or 10 years in venture capital. And that's not the experience that we had, you know, we started from the ground up and still continue to, you know, get it from the mud, so to speak. And so, you know, we can't afford mistakes. So it gets very stressful, you know, when you're in business with family, especially in business with a sibling, we both know that we can't afford to really fail forward or we can't afford to, 
you know, make mistakes that are going to crush us. And so, you know, we're hard on each other and, uh, and that can lead to a lot of, uh, just uncomfortable moments, you know, because your sibling turns into your business partner and then that's just what it is, you know? So my brother and I are constant work in progress, trying to be better to each other, trying to figure all this out. I love it. I love it. And, you know, just a quick, quick side question with that. If you were to give one rule or, or, or what is it? Um, yeah, let's say a rule or, or some, a way to approach going into business with family. What's like one, one thing that everyone should make sure they, they keep front of mind when they go into business with family, whether that's, you have to practice patience or you have to, I mean, that's like a given, but you know, you get what I'm asking. Of course. That's a really good question. Um, one rule. I mean, I think, I think the, uh, the toughest thing is keeping family accountable, you know, because, when you're in a, a business organization, you know, someone is contractually obligated to do their job. You know, a lot of times when you start business with family, that sense of obligation or that, you know, that standard can change, right? Cause you're like, Oh, I'm just going to meet my brother or I'm just going to do this. And you got to keep that same amount of accountability. So I think for anyone who's jumping into starting a business with family or, or thinking about it, try to create a framework for accountability from the beginning so that, you know, it's, it's obvious to point out when someone's not doing their job and keep them accountable versus trying to figure out how to do that because, you know, you've known them to be your sibling or your cousin, you know, your whole life. I love it. I love it. I love it. And um, as mentioned, you know, at the beginning, you're, you're in a lot of different business sectors. So I wanted to kind of go across, you know, a few of these different businesses that you've started or been a, a co-founder in with your brother starting with uh, Green Room Creative. Could you please uh, share what that is for the people who haven't heard of it? And then I'll jump into the questions. Yeah, Green Room Creative is a creative and marketing agency focused on growing digital first brands across social content and paid media. So we really focus on companies that uh, want to understand culture or that do understand culture and want to grow in that in that way. I love it. I love it. And just for timeline purposes, what how old were you and what year did you guys start this business? Yeah, good question. Um, so I folded my record label that I that I used to run from when I was 16 until I was 26. And uh, I folded that, you know, took a financial L, lost, you know, my friends in the process. I mean, we're still friends, but, you know, it, it wasn't the same. Um, and started my agency around that time, 2016, 2017. So, um Man, it was about six years ago. I was 26. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, and we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the record label, man, because you you have like a long history of experiences and you're still so young. So it's kind of it's kind of dope to think about, you know, just the amount of time we have in life and just taking advantage of, of every moment to do what we desire, try things out. You know, one of my favorite things, Gary Vee and, and, you know, a good friend of yours, John Henry, like say a lot is just try shit like you know like if you don't know what you want to do yet just try shit if it works out cool if it doesn't let it go and move on to the next thing so uh, i love to see you you know entering a lot of different places so um with grc how would you describe your agency's process in helping clients reach their marketing goals yeah i mean with clients it's funny a lot of times clients don't know what they want right or they don't they don't understand how to take the steps to get there and so for us, a lot of what we do is, is discovery and positioning to make sure clients know who their customers are, 
who they should be targeting, what, what, they, what their attitude as a brand needs to be in order to target those people. Once that discovery is done, we help them find a point of view and an attitude. And then we create content that basically takes that attitude and puts it into, you know, the consciousness of people who fit their target demographic. So essentially, you know, I think when it comes to marketing, you got to have a strong point of view, you got to have a strong perspective, you have to have um, a strong story, right? And, and, and the agency's job is to take that and, you know, create it and amplify it. So, you know, we work with brands with the goal of customer acquisition, right? How do we bring them more users and more customers through content and storytelling? So when you guys are starting this business, what, what, what kind of inspired you? You started with your brother, correct? Just to confirm. That's right. yep. So, so what made you guys want to start this business in the first place? Like you're saying, you're coming out of the music business. Um, I'm, I'm not sure what, where he was coming from, but, but what sparked this conversation and like, what made you guys feel like you had the confidence to go and do this? Yeah, man, it's funny. Um, I don't know if we had the confidence, but I know we didn't lack the confidence, if that makes sense. You know, we had, we had knowledge and we felt confident in our ability. The rest of it was just trying and putting it together. Right. And so I think that's the seed at which we started from. My brother was coming off a couple of years of agency experience um, at a place called Havas. And I had been working freelance with clients, you know, doing social and content and, and, and digital marketing. And so it was kind of a natural fit. He was more on the search and, and, and um, AdWords SEM side. I was on the creative side. And so we decided like, you know, let's, let's try this. Let's go after a couple of clients. I don't even think, you know, we would call it an agency in the beginning. It was just me and him really trying to put a couple of dollars on the table. And then, um, you know, once we had like a small client base, we realized, you know, the potential of what we could do and it kind of grew from there. So, you know, agency business is really tough because it's service oriented, it's client facing at all times, right? So you have to always make people happy. And that's very difficult in a world where your know, algorithms are changing, the, the consumption habits of, of customers are changing, um, the way organic content reaches people and, and the type of content is changing, you know, it's, it's a very active, high touch business. And that's something that uh, I would caution everybody to really understand and learn before they want to jump off and start an agency or, you know, get into that, that type of business. I love it. I love it. And so when, when business starts to, to pick up, how did you and your brother form a, a team around you guys that you felt was going to be able to work well, um, you know, together as a team to, to help your clients out. You know, I guess the question really is how do you build a team um, that, that has a, a common goal and, and focus that works well together? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think the answer is before you can build a team that has a common goal, you have to have a common goal, mm. right? And you have to have a focus. And I think that sounds so simple, but it's, it's true. So I think what we did well was we honed in on kind of who we were and what we were looking for. Um, we honed in on the type of work we wanted to do and the type of work we didn't want to do, you know, and I think that we attracted people who were also in that realm. You know, we all, we attracted people who were also um, interested in those things. And I think, you know, one thing my brother and I have been really big on is this concept of freedom. You know, freedom happens in a couple different ways. Um, and it unfortunately doesn't happen for a lot of people until they're much older, right? When we think about freedom, I really break it down into freedom of time and freedom of, of financial, right? Financial freedom. And, you know, throughout our agency times, 
even though it was it was really really hectic we were always cognizant of like how do we maintain freedom of time right so the ability to work on the weekend if we wanted to but also to go take a trip somewhere if we wanted to the ability to go spend you know two weeks off to south of portugal and and work from there if we wanted to and we brought that similar ethos to our team members so we we knew that people wanted freedom this is before covid and work from home and all that we just knew the market was changing we knew that people could get their work done from different places we knew that um, we didn't need to have you know that typical corporate structure to hire and find people that really fit our our needs and so we offered people freedom you know we gave people uh what they wanted in that case and we were able to attract some really great you know really good talent people that you know i still work with today um damn near six years later love it i love it and so kind of transitioning into another business um and finalizing the question with that what what digital marketing strategies or just marketing strategies in general did you and your brother deploy while building um your cafe your 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 chai your chai company so i have a question actually side note how, so you said Calcutta, not Kolkata, right? Yeah. So Calcutta is the the pronunciation that came into place after the British conquered India. Mm, okay. And Kolkata is the native pronunciation of that of that word. They they can be used interchangeably. Unfortunately, nobody even there says Kolkata now. They say Calcutta, mm. um, unless you're speaking in Bengali, which you know you would say it in a different way. Got so, you. Yeah, okay. We can use it interchange- interchangeably. Perfect, because I had to pause there because I was like, wait, I'm not sure how to pronounce it correctly. <laughs> Thanks for but, asking, man. That's real. Absolutely. So, yeah, what, what strategies did you guys deploy or put in place when you guys were getting ready to roll that out? Yeah, so the benefit of of starting a food and beverage company, a restaurant, from having a lot of digital marketing experience was us being able to incubate and test real time, you know, what was happening. Um, the biggest thing that we did, man, we invested in great social content. And, and great storytelling. And I've been talking to a couple like, you know, VCs and, and investors, and they're all really surprised to know that we haven't really paid for any type of marketing, or we haven't done any paid growth. They're like, this is all organic. And the answer is, yeah. And the, the, the truth about that is, it's not really free, right? I had to invest in great videographers, great photographers, I had to spend a ton of my own time coming up with the stories and you know, the content strategy and understanding how to speak to people and the attitude, the tone, the voice, all of that was like very expensive, right? If you think about it, but what happens when you invest in brand in the beginning is that it pays off over time, because if you're able to hit that organic nerve with people, you save a ton of money in advertising costs. So to answer your question, you know, in terms of digital marketing, what we did really well was we leveraged social media, email, and, uh, and, and activations to tell our story of being first-generation kids that were trying to, you know, take back this thing that we felt like had been taken from us um, and, and really investing in video and photo and, and making sure that people felt like they were experiencing the goodness of chai from wherever they were at, you know, that they could almost taste it if they couldn't. And that's why they had to pull up or that's why they had to order online. Um, and, and, being authentic to who we were and where we came from. So I love that. Did, when you guys were getting ready to, to, to start this company, I'm wondering if this was kind of going through your head, because for me, um, although I was already following you and like, you know, obviously loved the content, things you were doing prior to, to rolling uh, KCC out, but 
did you guys think about the the large community of people that you knew were probably annoyed by people being like, uh, I would love a um, chai tea latte, like, like because the reason I asked is because when you wrote that out, I connected immediately because that's what I coming from a Tanzanian family and and you may you may know this already. There's a large you know Indian uh, population in Tanzania and a lot of culture cultural influences from India. Um, in Tanzania so just being there and waking up and just like chai or when I would say like repeat what I saw on tv chai tea to my mom her telling me to like shut up and just say chai it's like you don't gotta say thing like you know so I connected immediately and I'm sure a lot of other people felt the same way was that something that went through your guys' mind when you were uh launching or not really so I think this is kind of a an interesting marketing lesson as well right it's we were focused on building our core demographic and 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 growing that rather than worrying about isolating people that weren't part of that core. Right. So it was a conscious decision to be like, we're going to step out. We're going to say it this way. We're going to, you know, attract the people that understand it and then have that be a talking point and a viral moment or a a moment, you know, that people can educate others. And, and the upside of that, the earned media, the, the amount of eyeballs, the awareness that you get from that, was going to be far greater than if we had alienated people who were like, oh, I don't get it. You know, what's wrong with chai tea? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we, we did the calculus on that and that's the kind of way that we approached it. Um, I think for any brand, you know, launching or starting off, it's like, there's never um, any shame in starting really narrow and, and getting specific with who you want to target and speak to. And you can always broaden, you know, it's easier to kind of speak to more people. It's like, you know, it's like Jay-Z reasonable doubt was one type of, you know, album, but then blueprint two was very different or, you know, whatever, like you can always broaden your base. It's really hard to like narrow down once you start really wide. So we had to tell people what we stood for and uh, I'm happy that we made that decision. I love it. I love it. It's very thoughtful. Um, So with, with, as soon as you launched COVID hitting pretty fast after, um, can you kind of just talk generally about how you guys pivoted I know you, you probably hate hearing that word after a year of after a year of interviews and and these questions the, the word pivot popping up 74 times but um could you talk about that though how you guys ended up pivoting and, and making making the pandemic work for you guys instead of taking an L immediately yeah I mean I, I think back you know it was almost like pretty much like 365 days ago give or take it was, <laughs> you know, it was like last week this day um this year you know, strangely, the cafe shut down and <clears throat> all of that happening. I didn't even think that that was a possibility, right? When COVID was kind of sweeping across the world, you know, to, to my ignorance, I just didn't think that it would hit us like that. And I didn't think that there was a reality in which our cafe was shut down. So I was unprepared to say the least, but even when it happened and kind of going through it in real time, um, I never felt panicked. And I think that that was like a result of having been an operator and entrepreneur for so long that it wasn't a sense of panic. It was more of a sense of like problem solving, you know, like I had been through so much crazy stuff as a, as a record label owner and on the agency side and and just like, you know, doing things for myself. Like I have seen, you know, every crazy scenario. So I was not panicked, but I knew we had to solve a problem. Um, So our pivot was, was, kind of multi-tiered the first thing that we did was we pivoted to e-commerce right so we switched our model from hey come get a cup of chai to come you know or, or to go buy this the spice packet online that contains our same chai mix make it at home 
you know, learn about chai and that business ended up taking off and uh, really stabilized us during the pandemic. And we grew, you know, a lot more than, than we imagined because of that, because of the revenue from that. Um, we also switched to delivery only, but instead of going through an Uber or a DoorDash, we created our own delivery system that allowed us to keep hundred percent of revenues, you know, early on in the pandemic when every dollar, you know, mattered. Um, and we kept storytelling. So even through that entire time, I mean, there's, there's a video of me standing outside the cafe in real time processing the fact that it's closed down. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a video of my brother and I turning the cafe into a, a warehouse and, you know, packing chai kits like by hand, you know, there's like, all this was documented and we were, we were sharing it in real time. So like, that was a very conscious decision too, right? Like, Hey, we're going through this. A lot of people are not making it. This is a really tough time, but let's stay true to who we are and keep telling that story. And, uh, and that's how we got out, man. That's how we got through. I love it. And so I got the opportunity to visit while I was in New York and, uh, the, the question that popped in my mind was, why did you guys choose that location? Um, in terms of a physical location, what, was it just because, I mean, was it just because it was the best option or was there some type of, um, you know, more in-depth thought process around why you guys chose that area of the city? Yeah, so that location, it's, it's a it's catch-22. So the East Village is like a place where there's still a very strong sense of neighborhood and community. Mm-hmm. You know, for someone who's visiting New York, you might not catch it, but you know, you go up to Midtown or you go up to Union Square or down to, you know, Fidei, it all feels like commercial, mm-hmm. right? It all feels like places to go work. That location in the East Village on 3rd and B is a place to live, you know, and it's a place where there's like a community garden across the street, you know, there's, there's a school right around the corner, things like that. And that community angle is obviously really big to us. At the same time, that was what we could afford in terms of, you know, retail space. And one thing that I think is important to, to note is like, we didn't have any kind of institutional money raised when we started this, you know, we started by funding it ourselves. And then we ended up raising a small friends and family, you know, um, debt based round to get us to opening our doors. And so, you know, it wasn't like we came into this game well-funded and had our choice of location. And, you know, of course we'd like to be in a higher traffic area, but, Unfortunately, that's, that's what we could afford. Now, the flip side of that is we turn that into a destination, right? So not a lot of people go there unless you need to go to that part of town, but we turn that into a destination and which means that we didn't depend on tourist traffic or office traffic or subway traffic, you know, to, to be able to survive. And during COVID, you know, a lot of people that had those crutches got completely wiped out, you know, versus we were still that destination for people. So we learned a lot, you know, I think a year and a half in now, we can say that if we have to do it again, we'd probably choose something a little bit more um, central, like a little bit more higher foot traffic, a little easier for people to get to. But at the same time, that location allowed us to survive the way we did. And so, you know, I'm grateful for that. And I don't think I would do it a different way. I love it. And a testament to the first statement you made there about community and uh, a place to live while I was sitting outside I was sitting outside eating and literally four people came by and like stopped looked up at the thing then looked at me and asked me like yo what's the spot and in my head I'm like 
Hey, I'm about to go off of all the Instagram videos and content and interviews I've been watching. So I'm over here giving a spiel of how you did on podcasts. I'm so like, yeah, yeah, slide in there, slide in there. <laughs> but but no, nah, that's that's what's up, man. Um, yeah, man. I mean, that's you know, most New Yorkers not gonna stop and ask about. Yo, dead ass. I swear, four people. St- I swear, I'm not capping either. Like four people dead so stopped, funny. looked at the sign, looked at me peeked inside and then they was like hey what do you think about this spot i'm like it's five <laughs> i was like i was like you see this right here i started dipping it in the sauce in front of me. i was being extra but they That's all went inside so there you go man i appreciate you yeah man um so could uh, final piece on that could get could you give your piece of advice to uh any food entrepreneurs that are thinking about entering the space or just entered this space um it doesn't have to be business marketing or anything like that but just any piece of advice to somebody entering the food entrepreneurship space yeah, I mean, I, if I had to synthesize it, the first thing would be start digital first. You know, I don't care if you got a restaurant or delivery service or a ghost kitchen, doesn't matter to me. Get online um, and, and get your story and your product in front of people through through social and through digital. Uh, second thing is you got you to gotta love it. You got to love the reason or you have to love why you're doing it. You know, 18 months in, my brother and I still have not taken a dollar from the business, you know, and um, that's cause we can't afford to. And that's not a, I don't say that out of pride. Like I believe in making, making money. We're creating value in our business, right? We're, 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 we're raising the value of our business, but we haven't been able to take money out. And, uh, and we, you know, we love it enough to be able to stick it out and, and know that we're going to get to the other side of it so that you got to have that genuine love for it. And, um, lastly, I would say, don't be, too romantic or proud to try certain things you know we all kind of come into the game with a certain idea of what it's going to be and whatnot but adapting you know is the only way out so that's what i would say yeah you gotta love it you gotta uh you gotta be adaptive and then the number one point was um you know go digital love it and as much as I wanted to speak about real estate in this conversation, I'm gonna skip over that because you have a lot of you have a lot of you know content out there speaking on that. So I'm gonna let people go find you on IG and other platforms to discover more of the conversations and, and things you've talked about there. And I'm gonna jump into the last thing we'll talk about today, and we'll call it the flashback segment. So these are just some general knowledge I know about you, and I'm gonna ask you to just talk you know swiftly about. Um, the experience of whatever flashback I talk about. Okay. Let's so, do it. Let's do it. I got 10 minutes. So don't rush. We good. Beautiful. All right. So your trip to Japan as a young record label owner and artist, can we talk about that? How did that come about? And uh, just talk about that experience as you think yeah. about it from this moment in your life, man. Uh, it was 10 years ago. Um, I was fresh out of college, like four months out of college. I, I didn't have a job. I was trying to make it in this music industry, which is crazy. Um, and I got approached by a promoter in New York after a show that we did in, in Harlem. And he was like, yo, I have this opportunity for a couple acts to go tour in Japan. You get to license your music to a, to a company out there. And uh, in exchange for that, they basically give you enough money to go do this. Are you interested? And I was like, I think you're capping, but you know, let's, let's do it. One thing led to the next. I called my homies up. I was like, yo, y'all ready? Like we going to Japan. And, uh, I need you to clear your calendar. And that moment, um, that moment to me was the first time that I was able to look at myself and be like, yo, I just made the impossible possible. You know, I I was super young. I was reaching for something that didn't, and maybe still doesn't exist in terms of being 
you know, a brown face in hip hop music and, and really trying to like close that gap or tell that story. And I was going to Japan off my own merit, off my own craft, off my own skill. And um, it was life changing, man. I felt like after that day, I, I never lost confidence in who I was or what I, what I could do. You know, that really turned me up to be like, now nah, you, you that guy and, and life may be up and down, but um, what you're doing or what you're thinking is not crazy. I love it. I love it. And um, if I'm correct, you and uh, Anik or Anik went on tour in Asia, in South Asia, in India, and mm -hmm. uh, a few places over there. Can you talk about that tour, um, the experience, the vibes, the energy, just, just think about that memory again from where you're at right now and uh, talk about it. Man, uh, touring, obviously pre-COVID, it's just a different world. We did two tours. So I'm going to focus on the first one. Um, you know, we did, we did like three or four shows. Everything was sold out. We were traveling across city to city. He just had his single big facts, which was really moving. Um, man, it was, I mean, honestly, it's a dream come true, but it's also a, a moment where I was able to share so much joy with like my best friends, you know, like with my brothers for real. And that like, nothing replaces that, you know, that, that builds a bond and that builds, a, um, builds memories that, that really last forever. And so, um, I have so many fond memories from that time, but yeah, it was, uh, it was crazy. I mean, I think we did like six days. We slept maybe uh, 20 hours the entire time. <laughs> if that, you know, bus, train, car, plane. I mean, we did it all. Um, I've never been more exhausted in my life, but damn yeah it was like a it was a full circle moment you know to be from that soil and to come back and be like yo like you know we're telling our story on stage it was it was dope love it how has your relationship with your parents changed um since since you know grc goes does well since kcc is launched and starts to do well since you're help you know with, with, with anik and and helping build that and and going places with him like how has your relationship with your parents or, or just seeing your parents experience your success felt like? Yeah, what a question. Um, I think good news is, and it's important to, to say this, my relationship with my parents hasn't changed that much, meaning that we've always had a pretty good relationship. I think more so now, there's just a lot more understanding. There's a lot more pride. There's a lot more excitement around what we're doing, right? I think the biggest thing with Kolkata Chai was like, the fact that we were able to do that for our parents, you know, we put the flag down in terms of that being a place that they could experience and share and, and own and, and feel like uh, their story was being told at the highest level. You know, that's like the most um, emotionally and, and spiritually satisfying thing I've ever done in my life, you know? Um, and, and I think that has just brought us closer together, you know, but, you tell it, you know, I could tell, you know, you ask my parents, like I, I've been a head case stressing them out for the past 30 years too, right? Like I've just been doing my own thing, not listening to what I feel like I should be doing and just making, you know, making the world bend to my will. Um, I feel like I'm still doing that, but yeah, there's definitely a lot more joy and a lot more respect in that relationship because now that we make money and we do these things, you know, I think our parents understand that we weren't crazy back when I was selling lemonade or CDs or t-shirts or whatever, you know, I was doing 15 years ago. I love it. 
So I have two final questions for you today. And, and before I ask those, I just want to say thank you so much for, you know, making time to come on the podcast today. The Culture Talks, again, was really inspired by you and then also the guys over at Earn Your Leisure. Um, you know, we had a, you know, consultation call. By the way, y'all go to his website right now. Go sign up for a consultation call right now. Do it. Um, but, um, and something you mentioned was like, essentially you were like, we are the culture, you know what I'm saying? Like, like hip hop culture, you know, just like the experiences different minorities bring to America and the, and the melting pot, quote unquote, America is like fashion, music, uh, who people are trying to market to with their businesses. Like we are the culture, but we don't, we don't, we don't really need anybody else because they're coming to seek us out. So like the culture talks for itself. Like we speak for ourselves. I was like, you know, I'm gonna name this shit the culture talks. I love that. You know, I and so, that. so I just wanted to say thank you, man. It's a full nah, circle, man. full circle thank moment you. for me. Thank you for for uh, the thoughtfulness that you put into this, and I know you know you always give me my flowers, and I I respect you for that because uh, sometimes you know I mean you know this entrepreneurship is lonely, and you know I'll be out here facing you know fighting ghosts every day, but but I appreciate um I appreciate everything. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. So, you you spoke about this in a, in a video I watched one day, and it was just about building this collective energy within your crew um, around, you know, investing money in an idea. Uh, you were specifically talking about real estate in this situation, but can you kind of talk about how maybe you went about doing that or how people can go about building this quote-unquote collective energy within their, within their team? Yeah, man. Um, I'm happy that you asked this. I was not, I was not expecting this, but this is great. Um, I think, a lot of us as young black and brown people, minorities, first generation kids, you know, we have this ideal goal in our mind where we want to be financially free. We want to be creative. We want to be independent of our trauma or our, you know, the things that hold us back. Um, we want to have healthy relationships with our parents. We want to be um, giving back, you know, to our communities and our people. We all have this goal, but not a lot of us actually go put it all on the line for that goal to come to life or, or we get stuck. Ah, I don't know what to do. You know, some of us protest, some of us donate, some of us build things, but it doesn't really come together until you put money towards the things that you're trying to move. You know, you put money behind the movements that you're trying to be a part of and you know, when you're doing it for yourself, it's hard, you know, like coming up with $50,000 to rent a rec center, you know, in your city and, and create a spot for youth or whatever. That's tough when you do it alone, right? But if you split it up of over five people, it's 10 bands, that's a lot more doable. And, and so I've always been, you know, surrounded by a really great group of, of what I call like my mastermind group, you know, like uh, people I grew up with, friends, business people, uh, John, you know, John Henry just texted me while we're on this thing, like just people that I've, I've met through my travels, like my mastermind group. And I'm always really vocal about being like, yo, what are we doing together? Cause mm -hmm. I'm not the type to be on your couch on Sunday afternoon, watching football, eating wings. Like I just don't care for that. Keeping it a buck. Um, I'm not the type that's going to be taking shots with you, you know, late night on, on whatever, for whatever reason, that's just not who I am. Like, I don't really think I have enough time on this earth to, to not spend a minute um, being thoughtful about, you know, things I want to change. And so 
I'm really big on like sitting my people down and being like, yo, what are we doing? Like, what are you doing? You know, what am I, how are we working together? How are we building together? All these things that we keep saying we want, are we being active about it? And it's very uncomfortable. Um, I've lost a lot of friends that way, you know, because a lot of my friends weren't trying to build. They were just trying to be friends. And I respect that, you know, and, and I have some friends that, I, that we are just friends. But to me, it's like, I know you want more. It's just your fear and your, your ego is holding you back from actually being open, you know, open-hearted and open-minded. And so I'm just that guy that breaks that shit down, man. I'm just, I, I tear through those walls and I, I shake, I literally shake my people up like, yo, what are we doing? You know? Um, and, uh, and, and when I, I think when I, you know, when I pass on, I think that's something I want people to remember me for, you know, is like, I got, I got, um, I got a hot, you know what I mean? I got a hot for us because I was, I was down to, to do the dirty work. So that's a very kind of philosophical answer to, to the question, but I really believe strength comes in numbers. And I believe that um, when it comes to minorities, if we don't stick together and if there's any type of division, that only hurts what we're trying to do. And so I'm that, I'm that guy that, that burns that, that burns that, that bridge and just gets to it. Anisang, y'all, ladies and gentlemen. Anisang, y'all, thank you so much for your time today, my brother. Um, before we hop out of here today, can you go ahead and share where people can find you on social media or how they can support you and your efforts? I'm easy to find, man. It is Ani Hustles across everything. That's A-N-I-H-U-S-T-L-E-S, AniHustles.com. Um, I'm here to help. You know, I think you know that. Um, I'm here to help. I'm here to add value. So, shoot me a DM, ask, ask, ask me a question, go read my articles, go share my content, whatever, you know, whatever I could, I could do to enrich your life. I'm here for that. Bless the culture talks podcast, ladies and gentlemen, make sure you leave a five-star review, like comment, share as that's the only way we can grow and make sure you have a blessed remainder to your week. Salud. <laughs>